It's a positive film. It has heroes and villains, and uh, that it essentially uh, is a fun movie to watch. It's been a long time since people have been able to go to the movies and see a sort of straightforward, wholesome, fun adventure. Well, it's a fantasy. It's not science fiction so much as it is space fantasy. And it's about people. It's about, it's finally about people and not finally about science. The story when you actually put it into words is only so much nonsense to hang a great visual experience onto. It's the stuff that fairy tales are made of sort of boiling down religion into a very basic concept. Uh, the fact that there is some deity or some power or some force that sort of controls our destiny uh, works for good and also works for evil. Marvelous, healthy innocence. Great pace, wonderful to look at, full of guts, nothing unpleasant. I mean, people go bang, bang, and people fall over and dead. But, you know, no horrors. A sort of wonderful freshness about it, a kind of like a wonderful fresh air. It's got whatever you want it to be. It's a it's pure entertainment. It's like a roller coaster ride, and it can be interpreted as long as you enjoy it, which is the intention. Welcome back to Generation Skywalker, and tonight we've got a special of the holiday special. Uh, what could be better than that in this festive season? Joining me, I've got two of the regular Generation Skywalker presenters. I've got with me Jez. Good evening, Jez. Good evening, Stu. I can't believe we're here doing this. Well, you're already no brain on this because you are the biggest fan of the holiday special out <laughs> of all of the hosts we have. And uh, also joining us is Craig to offer the um, more insightful opinion. Insightful <laughs> opinions. <laughs> Hello. Right. Just to let people know, in a few days' time, we have got a bit of a, a reaction show to the holiday special now. Us three and Dan, also off the podcast, we sat down and we watched the holiday special and reacted to it in real time. So that show will be out, I think, about four or five days' time. I would urge you to go and watch that on YouTube so you can watch the video with it whilst we talk. But uh, I think um, I think generally, generally, we all enjoyed it more than, uh, than what we first thought we would. Now, I know it might seem weird that we're releasing this this first but this was always the plan but we thought watching it would really help this show but generally boys i know i know we watched it in four or five days time but what did you both think of it i thought it was okay i watched it years ago and thought it was dreadful and and this time around i think the fact that we all sat and watched it together enhanced the experience but yeah i think there's 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 a lot of stuff that's not great but there's some stuff that's got some charm so we'll unpack it a bit tonight and Jez, you watched it two <laughs> days running before that because you also watched it with your dear wife the night before we recorded it. Well, yeah, I wanted to. It's one of those things. We it was weird, isn't it, recording a commentary like that, not having done one before, and obviously we choose the holiday special for our first one. So I thought, no, I, I need to refresh my mind. I need to see this again. So yeah, I did uh, attempt to watch it with my wife 
for a while. So yeah, I definitely had the pleasure of watching it um, twice in the space of 24 hours. But I know it warmed the cockles of my heart. I think it was probably due to the fact that, you know, we, we've had such a terrible year globally that just being online with you all and sharing the experience and having a laugh and, you know, over a, over an imaginary beer or what have you, it was fine. It, it was great. It was it was good fun. And uh, as Han says in the uh, Star Wars Holiday Special, you're like family to me. And, uh, and that's why I think it warmed the cockles of my heart. So tonight's show... We thought we would uh, we would dip into the holiday special, you know, look at the cast of people, what they bought in, when it was aired, all this kind of stuff. We'll look at the music because obviously Star Wars is always renowned for its soundtrack. So I want to come over to you first, Craig. Now, you, you go back the 70s, the 1980s. Variety show was a really popular format that was on these shores in America, all over the place. The variety show was a was a huge national event. Can you give us similar examples of things that were going on at the time as this? And was it really a, a mishap or did it fall in line with other variety shows? Yeah, like, like you say, it was a very popular format. And in the mid 70s, which is kind of what the era we're talking about, they probably still had another sort of 10 years of popularity in them. And, you know, just to sort of pause and, and describe a variety show for those who are young enough to have not experience them on the TV. They are, as the name suggests, they are a show made up of a variety of acts. So typically you have kind of a musical element, singing, dancing. There's always sketch comedy, magic, acrobatics, juggling, ventriloquism. And that's always anchored by a compare or host. So it sounds on paper like a circus, which is kind of where its roots came from. So it is a really old format. I mean, they have the, the variety shows that we saw on TV at that time were very similar to the things that were happening in Victorian Edwardian music halls or kind of vaudeville, if you're in the in the US listening to this. Because of that, they were they were among the first things ever shown on the TV. They just transported those shows from the stage to the TV uh, studio. So they were on telly a lot. They were often centered around like a popular star of the day. So 1978, around that time on the UK screens, you had things like the Les Dawson show and Little and Large. And they all kind of followed that that format, music, comedy and, and, and sort of variety acts. And then, of course, you've got like the annual Royal Variety performance. You know, that happens every year. Any of you guys want to have a guess at who appeared in the London Palladium Variety performance in front of the Queen in 1978? Bear in mind, this is the year after punk happened. Have you just thrown a complete red herring in there? There's <laughs> um, the... an ironic comment. <laughs> <laughs> so, be, um... so now i'm thinking sort of roger and freddie um no go on okay so david jacobs was the compare we had harry seacombe the king sinkers mary o'hara shawaddy waddy danny larue max bygraves the nolan sisters wayne sleep arthur askey and they dug up gracie fields for the occasion so yeah that's the caliber a performer that was considered the cream of the crop to put in front of the Queen in, in uh, 1978. Over in the States, there was a mainstream variety of sketch comedy shows like um, The Carol Burnett Show, um, Donnie and Marie, something called Shanana. At the same time, The Muppets were lampooning the format and Saturday Night Live that innovated it for an edgier uh, audience. So these things were happening uh, and particularly around like the holiday season, you'd get one-off specials. We're all familiar with at least part of one of these uh, one-off Christmas specials, which was uh, from Bing Crosby's Merry Old Christmas in 1977, uh, which gave us the, the very famous clip of him singing 
Peace on Earth and Little Drummer Boy with David Bowie. So, you know, it spawned stuff like that. 1978 specifically saw a couple of Sesame Street Christmas specials and uh, there was also a Pink Panther Christmas special called Pink Christmas. Um, so if you look at like the top shows of 1978 as well, there's a lot of kind of sci-fi genre shows, Six Million Dollar Man, The Bionic Woman, Logan's Run, Man from Atlantis, a sci-fi comedy called Quark, which kind of passed me by. You know, we laugh at it now. We laugh at the concept of the holiday special but for tv execs at cbs you know to marry a box office hit like star wars with a really evergreen popular safe bet tv format like variety it must have felt like a no-brainer the first thing that you read it all over the place was the main problem that people think the holiday special had was they didn't know whether it was a star wars story or a variety show do you think that's where it falls down well it ultimately ended up pleasing nobody (laughs) so um yeah you know i think had it been a success and i think we read it on the um on the reaction show you know we'd have we'd have seen the 18 christmas special Uh, you know we would have seen this this kind of format picked up but it just it, it it didn't work Jez, I read today somewhere that um, the budget for it was $1 million, uh, which seems a lot of money back when they were filming it in 78. Do you think that was money well spent? Where do you think the money went? Still talking about it now. I mean, where did the money go? It, it took a while for things to get developed. Uh, you know, we'll come on later on to the cartoon as well, you know, just paying for that to get produced over a period of time and the investment which had gone into it. But, you know, we, we say about, oh, did this please people? You know, they were still in... Uh, as you say, the Muppet Show. You had the likes of Luke Skywalker on, on the Muppet Show, and uh, and the was it the Donny Show as well. Um, you had mentioned that earlier on. But with regards to this, mate, a, a million, yeah, you could almost buy your whole ship for that. I read that the actors, Mark Hamill, didn't want to do it at the time. They were a bit like, oh, but George Lucas was just kind of like, we need Star Wars on the screen to keep people interested. So all sucked into the bigger project, <laughs> which, I mean, Fisher and Ford are on record, aren't they, for slagging it off, even in later years. So Yeah, <laughs> but it's, it grew legs. It, it's, it started off being small. It, it wasn't going initially to be a two-hour epic. You know, with all the adverts included within that, it was it, it grew. It sort of doubled in length from what was initially conceived. But f- from my point of view, I feel in some respects, do we need to apologise for having this out in December? Because I think the term holiday special is very much an American term. When I think of oh the holidays, I think I first got that term with Kevin McAllister in Home Alone because I never used to refer to Christmas time as the holidays. I don't know if you guys did. I certainly don't think the holidays is a UK term and it's it's come over here from America. So we then associate now the holiday special rather than the Christmas special with this. But it's not actually a Christmas thing, is it? Because, you know, we'll come on to it later on when this was aired. This was aired in November. This wasn't a Christmas thing. This was pre-Thanksgiving, wasn't it? Yeah, releasing it as a Christmas special probably isn't right, Jez. That's just my point there. It only dawned on me the other day because we'll come on to how this came about, but it's just one of those things that was, oh, hang on a second. Yeah, we're, we're referring to this as the holidays. Can can everyone make up their mind what it is? Is it the Christmas special? Is it a holiday special? Or is it the Thanksgiving special? Nothing in this makes any sense at all. But there we go. That's probably one of the reasons why it's just fallen a little bit flat is because it's completely confused were they all called holiday specials not around the holiday season i don't know so what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to break it down into some sections tonight we're going to go through it and uh, kind of dissect it as we can under certain headings but before we get into that then so the big question to you two is um especially with the disney takeover 
is the holiday special considered canon? The the short answer is no. So that, I mean that that changed with the the Disney buyout. Up to that point, it was you know elements of it were were considered uh, canon in the in the scheme of things. It was the S canon, the secondary level, not not sort of movie movie Lucas canon. So Leland Chi, who um, was the, the the maintainer of the internal continuity database, the Holocron. According to him, the Holocron had at least 28 entries about the holiday uh, special that inspired references in other works such as Life Day, Chewbacca's family members, wormed its way into the bigger expanded universe. Obviously, at the moment, Mandalorian is the big Disney property when it comes to Star Wars. Life Day has been mentioned, isn't it? Yeah. In Mandalorian and also the weapon that he is um, Mandalorian carrying around is the same weapon as what we see with Boba Fett in the cartoon. So they have taken um, parts of it and uh, and used it in, you know, new content. Yeah. Well, they I mean, they continue to do that, don't they? They've got 40 odd years of expanded universe lore, which they've downgraded to legends, but they're cherry picking elements from that, you know, canonizing them. Thrawn's a good example. Right. Well, interesting. Do you consider it canon, Jez, yourself? <laughs> No, I, I, my really short version. No, it's not on StarWars.com. You look, you look at other things, and there's yeah, no real uh, acknowledgement of it being part of the ongoing story or the uh, Skywalker saga. I agree with what Craig's put there. Yeah, there are bits which have come out, and as you say, the weapon system and and, and parts of of Fett. You could also say some characters which we'll come on to later on who may have forearms. We've already seen that also in Solo. However, that said, not canon as far as I'm concerned, but still, still very good. Well, you say it's not mentioned on StarWars.com. It is mentioned on StarWarsHolidaySpecial.com, a site dedicated purely to it. So uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's not dash it too much too quickly. Right. But it's funny though, Stu, before <clears throat> we jump on, the Lego Star Wars Holiday yes. Special has just come out, hasn't it, on Disney Plus? So again, further nods and further acknowledgements of... Oh, actually, yeah. It's a sort of tongue-in-cheek appreciation of, yeah, this this thing is out there. And I think, actually, Disney at the moment are, are doing right by this. They are sort of keeping it in the mind's eye. I'm going to go over to the original airing and the availability of this since it originally aired. Now, I was always under the impression that the Star Wars Holiday Special aired once on American telly and was never to be seen again. But doing a little bit of a poking around on American television, network CBS broadcast this on Friday, November the 17th, 1978, between 8 and 10 p.m. if you were in Eastern Standard Time. Now, that was the week before Thanksgiving. So that is obviously the holiday they talk about when it's referred to as a holiday special. But I wasn't aware that on the same evening, it was also broadcast on the Canadian television network, CTV. And actually, that started an hour earlier than what it did in America. So the Canadians were like, you know, getting all those early previews, and sucking up the joy of Itchy and his porn cam and all that kind of business. But this is where I found it quite interesting. So it also aired in New Zealand on TV New Zealand, in Australia on the Seven Network. And then six months later, on the May the 31st, 1979, it was shown on Swedish TV on their channel SVT. And it didn't stop there. This is the best, best name for a television channel ever. In Venezuela, you had it on Venivision. And when I read that, it reminded me of Chucklevision <laughs> or Jellyvision, um, which is what Jez watches. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not been too bad. It's been a good 20 minutes before the digs have started coming in. So, yeah, that's oh, very nice. 
you could also find it in Honduras on Canal 5. And then, like, Christmas Day 1981, this is three years, over three years since it aired. Brazilian TV then aired it on their channel, which I can't <laughs> pronounce. We know that it was shown at least twice in Argentina. And it still didn't stop. On January the 1st, 1979, it aired in France. But this was shortened, so we we watched it the other night. We know the show went out, was broadcast for two hours. What we watched the other night was one hour 37. That was from start to finish without the adverts. So they did a 72-minute version. So they cut 25 minutes. So it'd be really interesting if one of you two could go back, find the French version, which was dubbed in French, and see what 25 minutes they cut. <laughs> because I think you take anything out of that, it just it's just going to like ruin the story. There's a story. <laughs> well, what would you take out? 25 minutes you're going to lose. I mean, it's a bit crazy, isn't it? Maybe, maybe banned for surprise, but then you won't get the famous gag when she goes to sneeze. <laughs> don't know. I don't know. Also, it, sh- it was showed on in Republic of Ireland on Christmas Day in 79. We were robbed, weren't we? Well, if the Irish had it, you thought it would be in the UK as well, wouldn't you? So I was quite surprised to see it all over the place when I uh, looked that up. It did seem uh, very weird considering how how slated it was. Now, after these airings, we all know the holiday special was kind of forgotten until a kind of mid-90s where videotape recordings were turning up at conventions and being sold. But these videos were being copied and copied and copied. And you know how bad a quality of VHS was. So people were saying that some of these were sixth generation copies, you know, seventh generation copies being copied that much. The quality, you know, was extremely poor each time it was being copied. And sadly, a lot of what you find on YouTube are these really poor copies now. So kind of like Disney, come on, let's have this. But it became a bit of a cult classic with Star Wars then. And obviously, YouTube was was the game changer with people being able to watch it and enjoy it. Now, when Lucasfilm um, was still around, every time it went on YouTube, I believe that they uh, would order YouTube to remove it. But when it was sold to Disney, Disney seemed to have kind of bucked that trend and kind of turned a blind eye to it. So there is so many copies of it available on YouTube. So if you haven't watched it and you haven't had a chance to enjoy it, go and get involved because it's um it is pretty good. But there's been no official release. The only official thing we've seen from the holiday special was the entire FET cartoon, which I think has always been considered the the strong part of the holiday special, was available as a bit of an Easter egg on the complete saga Blu-ray set, which was released in 2011. And that is the only part officially released in any home video format to this point. Were you boys aware that it was it was shown all over the place? No, definitely not. I thought, as you said, you know, it was just shown once and then George Lucas was like, right, no, that's it. You know, no more. However, it was TV company that obviously sold the rights and, and sold it around. So, yeah, I had no idea. France, Argentina, Ireland. That's uh, that's a real surprise to me. Yeah, and 1981 as well. I mean, yeah, after Empire, it's sort of... Brazil are always late to Star Wars, aren't they? You've only got to look at their toy range. Well, this is it. <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> when were you boys first aware of the holiday special, and when did you first see it? I don't know. You know, I saw this this question on the, on the show notes, and I was thinking, well, yeah, certainly not at the time. I would imagine probably late kind of 80s, early 90s, when I started going to, to toy shows. It was definitely like the late 90s by the time I watched it, and that was on the VHS copy guy at work lent it to me you know it wasn't something i even sought out myself it was kind of i mean i mean you've not seen it here go i'll bring it in give it a watch kind of thing so um yeah but but when it first appeared on my radar i really couldn't tell you what about you jez you watch it every year (laughs) yeah i've seen it more in this month than (laughs) um for the rest of my life 
I I think I was a late developer. Uh, I reckon it was probably about 12 years ago for me. It was probably about, yeah, as I started to get again massively into Star Wars around about 2008 or so. Up until that point, for me, it had pretty much just been the films, the OT and my original collecting. I hadn't gone much outside of the OT. So, uh, yeah, I um, I think the first time I'd seen it <laughs> to sit through it in one go may have been the other day. Uh, when we did the recordings the day before that, I'd seen bits and pieces, and obviously I'd fast forwarded it and and seen the um, the cartoon. It's not had a large part of my Christmas canon for sure. That's certainly going to change, isn't it? Oh, one hundred percent. I don't even think I knew about it. I can't. I'm a bit like the rest of you. I, I can't place when I first found out about it, but I found a must have been the early days of DVDs on eBay, which was a load of adverts. But it had a second disc in there, which was the holiday special. Now, I'm not sure whether that was the first time I discovered the holiday special was the first time that I put it in a player and watched it. And I think it took me about three sittings to get through it. And then I don't think I watched it again. I have watched it since then. It's hard yeah. to get into it. I mean, I know that you're saying, oh, if, you, if you've not get amongst it. I would encourage everyone to get amongst it with regards to the, the um, commentary which we're going to be releasing, because it's not really something which you watch with the family. It's not something which you would really watch with the wife, which I'd learned the hard way. So watch it on your own, but with us coming in your ears. You know, we'll, we'll be there and um, and you can listen with us. I mean, first of all, we have to get through, what was it, nine minutes of just Wookiees chatting to each other at the beginning and sort of squeaks and roars and stuff. So I, I can understand why people don't go through it all the way on a first sitting because um, you've just got to get through that initial period of not a great deal happening in, in the Wookiee household. And then, then you're golden. It's all good from there. Well, you'll hear it when we, we record the commentary. The amount of um, technology in the Wookiee house is quite incredible. And they keep using the technology to go to all the different uh, variety performances. If you removed all the variety performances, it's a very solid Star Wars story, isn't it? <laughs> There's worse out there. Hey, CBS, what's coming on? Friday, blast off to a galaxy far, far away. It's the Star Wars Holiday Special, starring all your Star Wars favorites. Will Chewbacca get home to his planet in time for the big Wookiee holiday celebration? Watch and find out. Then on Flying High, the girls put it on and take it off. You know what? What? I don't think either one of us is going to get much sleep tonight. Join us for a far-out Friday, beginning at 8, 7 Central and Mountain. You're on. So, Jez, obviously, we always like to give you the easiest parts of these uh, shows. Thank you. And you're actually going to run us through the um, the plot of the holiday special. I- I'm not, <laughs> because <laughs> it's so long and convoluted, and we don't want this show to be that long, really, buddy. You know, there's so much going on here. I've got to see what we've got written. But IMDb say that it's uh, Chewbacca and Han Solo trying to get to the Wookiee homeland of Kashyyyk to celebrate Life Day, but are impeded by Imperial Blockade. And Chewie's family passes the time with various forms of entertainment. That's it in a nutshell. So it centers around Life Day, which I guess is a pretty great non-denomination celebration. You know, we're not talking Christmas or or, or Eid or, or anything like that. We're talking Life Day. So it's pretty much every living person, every living being should be able to celebrate Life Day. So I actually love the premise of this. So Life Day itself, um, checking on old Wikipedia, and it's a holiday of Wookiee tradition that celebrated family, joy and harmony, the values and tenets of Wookiee culture, traditionally held at the Tree of Life, which then makes me think of, um, oh, what's that other film which I really like with a hot blue woman in it? Mm. Cameron. Avatar. Yeah. 
Nice. Um, <laughs> and the forested wiki homeworld of Kashyyyk, celebrations were held by people across the stars after the dark times of the Galactic Empire. So, yeah, it goes on a little bit about Life Day. So we start off at Kashyyyk. So Chewie's got a family shocker right more on that later on so Chewie's family are there waiting for him to come back he's away with Han Solo and they're waiting because they want to celebrate life day with him this whole episode this whole production and I say it's a production it's like a pantomime on acid it's a smorgasbord of randomness and you've asked me to go through the plot I'm not jacked up enough to know exactly off the top of my head what the plot is so just bear with me They want to celebrate Life Day. Han and Chewie are sort of stuck. There's an Imperial blockade, so they're going to be late. The guys, um, his family are fretting, so they get hold of Luke Skywalker, who's, uh, I believe from memory, still in his X-Wing costume, and he's there with R2-D2, and they're doing some engineering. And uh, they're saying, you know, we can't get hold of Han, and Luke looks, you know, confused and very made up with a lot of um, makeup. It's it's odd at that stage. Already, I'm kind of lost. Uh, And then we're introduced to a new character, um, Zahn, something like that. What's his name? Zahn? Zahn Dan? Zahn Dan, I think who's some sort of trader, uh, but he's a good guy. You know that he's a good guy, and they've got a very, very random, very random scene of him being a shopkeeper, and then there's an Imperial in there, and it's just all a bit LOLO, um, you know, the British sort of World War II sitcom series. So this Zorn Dan, local trader, but he's, he's communicating kind of subtly, but not subtle enough so every viewing audience member knows that this guy is a good guy and he's saying that you know han and chewie are on their way interspersed with all this coming and goings there's different songs entertainment things going on it's a very very inappropriate thing probably about a quarter of the way in i think is inappropriate it's essentially it's chewbacca's dad having some sort of private moment right slap bang in the middle of his living room with you know grandkids and stuff around and it's just strange hence the pantomime on acid it's just really 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 weird it then goes into sort of breaking the fourth wall where they're ended up watching then the cartoon which we've spoken about earlier on and then there's joyous things there's a little bit of um ripping apart uh, rooms and a sort of it, it, yeah weirdness all around if you if you blinked you wouldn't know what was going on uh, because you've really really got to keep up with with the plot at the end everyone's happy it's all really good a couple more imperials have been murdered and then chewbacca's wearing some sort of robes and then uh, carrie fisher starts singing a song so it as i said smorgasbord of craziness pantomime on acid you've got to watch it did i do it justice great it's all a bit hazy i remember that <laughs> there was a man drinking by pouring his pint glass into a hole in the top of his head and there's a bar scene right akmina the lady um who who's the bar manager she she's there she's serving everyone hammerheads at the bar or someone who is like hammerhead and, you know she's talking away she pats him on the head and i'm thinking that's a last thing if i'm going for a pint and if i'm in the cantina I don't want some patronising bar person tapping me on the head. You know, that, I just think that's just... There's so many inappropriate things throughout this, but it's the, the Wookiee getting his gear on in the middle of the living room. It's just strange. There's grabbing. There's all sorts of inappropriateness. Uh, cosplay is not consent. It's just 
so strange. It's delightful. I'm so patting you on the head every time I see you. <laughs> I knew, I knew that would be a mistake saying that. Damn it. So there is an overview of the plot, such as it is. But like I say, I think if you take the variety stuff out, it's a very strong content there. <laughs> is there any more inside? Our head's okay. No, Everything's okay now. Here's your daddy. Boy, it's it's okay, everybody. He's gone. How are you? Mom! Ha ha! Wonderful. Well, huh? Your son's been doing your crotch. Saved my tail more than a couple of times. Mom, I'd love to, but I can't. I gotta get back to the Falcon before somebody stumbles across her. Hey, will you look at Lumpy? He's sure grown, huh? I think his voice is changing. Come on, I'm just teasing. Well, look, I gotta go. Have a nice life day, but be careful. A lot of troopers in the area. Chewy, check and coast is clear, will you? You're like family. The cast, we, we saw all the legends, we saw all the, you know, the classic Star Wars characters and a few uh, a few exciting new ones thrown in. Can you just take us through who and what and what was archived and who recorded new stuff? And Let's shine a light on the talent. I mean, the, most of the core cast were there to uh, continue their roles. So Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Anthony Daniels, Peter Mayhew were all there playing uh, their, their iconic roles from, from Star Wars. Dave Prowse didn't technically appear, though there's some footage of him talking to Chief Bast, who was played by uh, EastEnders' Leslie Schofield, who died on the Death Star. So they kind of, given that this was taking place afterwards, had to sort of retcon him uh, as a different character. James Earl Jones, however did appear as the voice of Darth Vader because the scenes with Vader were um, were dubbed because the handy thing about Vader is he has no lips to sink. I mean, interestingly, James Earl Jones didn't have a credit in Star Wars, but the holiday special marked the first time he was credited as, as Darth Vader. So a bit but of a... That's Star incredible, Wars. isn't it, that he didn't get noted for his work on the first film? I don't think he wanted it, did he? He's, I don't read didn't that he? right. He, story, just, he just saw it as a, you know, as a bit of voiceover work. I'm sure I read that. I don't think he was particularly precious. I don't think it was a, a slight on his, uh, on his performance at all. Alec Guinness is credited, although to be fair, I had to kind of rewind it and go, where, where was he again? So there's a, there's a flashback montage of Chewie being thankful for his for his life and, and Alec Guinness appears in, uh, in that sequence. Kenny Baker wasn't involved either, which is a shame because if anybody would have been comfortable with a variety show format, it was Kenny because Kenny and uh, and Jack Purvis, who played the Chief Jower, they had a long-standing cabaret act, so they'd have been really comfortable with, uh, with the format. But Artu was uh, performed entirely as a radio-controlled unit, which was controlled by Mick Garris, Lucas, uh, Lucas's receptionist. They were bringing out the big guns. 
in the credits, he's credited as playing himself. There's also some uh, deleted scenes that made it from the cutting room floor of uh, Star Wars into the holiday special. So there's a scene with a, with a little guy running through some giant alien legs. He's also in sort of some of the shots in the cantina scene. So when when Wu is pointing and saying, we don't serve your kind, he's directly in front of him. He's a character called Rikar Rijerd. He was played by Marcus Powell, who was also in Blake 7, Time Bandits and The Elephant Man. The rest of the cast that weren't already established through the Star Wars movie, we have Chewbacca's son, Lumpy, Marla and his old dad, Itchy. Now, those were their original names as they were on the show. But as the expanded universe grew, and as we just sort of said earlier, that they picked elements of, of the holiday special to use in the expanded universe. And they gave them sort of slightly more serious names so that the names we um, they were given in the holiday special were retconned into being their, their pet names or their family names. So uh, Mala's proper name was Malatabuk. Uh, Lumpy was Lumpawaroo, sometimes shortened for Waru. And Lumpy was just sort of a childhood nickname that they gave him. And uh, an Itchy, he was Atichikuk. Lumpy was played by Patty Maloney. She was Tweaky in Book Rogers and she took over from Felix Silla, but she was only in three episodes. So they both played Tweaky. Guy called Mickey Morton, tall guy, played Mala. And if you want to see what he looks like under the costume, he was also Akmina's bouncer. And fun fact, he was also two of uh, the Voran chef's arms. Clearly big guy, big reach. <laughs> That's <laughs> interesting, though, because while that is on the telly, Marla's cooking. He's a very clever actor. Oh, He's playing Marla. It's movie magic. <laughs> and how they do it. A chap called Paul Gale, who was a TV creature performer. He appeared in sort of, you know, daft costumes on kids tv programs in the states he played itchy and there's a slew of generic imperial bad guys of different stripes and they were all played by kind of us tv bit part players uh michael potter claude woolman lev mailer john mclaughlin played the stormtrooper the guy who lists this as his only acting credit on imdb probably so scarred by the experience he never acted again when we said this on the uh when we were watching it i think the fact that we didn't know who some of these guest stars were Left us a bit cold. Some of the uh, the characters who crop up on the um, on the holiday special were clearly, you know, famous people in the world of TV um, in the States. So Art Carney, who's the guy who played uh, Sean Dan, the uh, the trader, he'd been a big radio and TV comic actor in the 50s and 60s. He'd had his own variety show. By 1978, I imagine his star was probably fading, but you know the producers must have seen him as a safe pair of hands and a familiar face for kind of older viewers uh, who were being forced to watch this by the kids in the family. So I guess a bit like you know Bob Monkhouse popping up or something like that. Harvey Norman, so he had the unique position of playing three different uh, characters. So he played this, the uh, the chef, Commander. He plays an android instructor. And he plays the creepy barroom sex pest, Krellman, who we've already mentioned has a hole in his head for imbibing uh, drinks at the bar. But he was a well-known comedian. He had a partnership with a guy called Tim Conway. He was a regular on The Carol Burnett Show, which we mentioned right at the start. It was a popular show at the time. It was on air in 78. So, you know, a short hop over to a different galaxy for him for us audiences to see these guys crop up in star wars must have been you know they, some of the audience would have got a kick out of it i think certainly in the uk we know out of all these people be arthur because of her success in golden girls but that role was still kind of seven years away when she was in um, the holiday special so in 78 she just left a, a sitcom in the states called maud she'd won an emmy you know she clearly had chops in terms of you know, comic performances and i think you know Akbina for me is probably one of like the standout 
performances you know after she she did that she went on and had kind of a one-off be arthur special she was in a failed remake of faulty towers in the states where she played the basil faulty role really? um yeah yeah i think um, they made about 13 episodes and they only ever showed 11 and then she went on to, to sort of achieve international fame with the golden girl so it didn't do her career any harm i mean there are a whole load of other people involved first act that appears i think is is lumpy turns on his little holotable, table which is very much like the chess uh, the chess table in the falcon and he watches a circus performance you know circus performances in variety shows as i remember them you know if there was any sort of wow factor to be gained from them it was the fact that they were there they were on stage you could sort of they were juggling fire and they were doing this stuff it felt very real and i think what the, that sequence does is it removes any of that sort of abstracts them into these little holograms it's not a visceral experience to watch these little figures juggling times and tastes have changed yuichi sugiyama so he's the chap with the beard and the feathers and he's sort of considered the ringmaster he brings all the acts onto the table uh, we have the wazan troop tumblers uh, the mum brothers were the jugglers and stephanie stromer was the gymnast so all credible performers in their own right that they roped in to appear on this uh, on this program the musical act jefferson starship and they were the band on there for the groovy kids watching uh, they performed the song called light the sky on fire it was released as a single the version that featured in the holiday special was a different mix and as a band you know they they had a long lineage um and they went on much beyond the holiday special in a different guise but they were originally uh jefferson airplane the white rabbit song which was pretty famous uh, and later morphed into starship of we built this city on rock and roll fame which in august 2016 gq magazine declared as the most detested song in human history and the holiday special captures them just after the departure of their singer grace slick who was asked to leave after a drunken on-stage tirade in germany but i think the most sort of bizarre one and, and as, as kind of jez mentioned this this scene with with itchy and his his little porn vr unit he, he dons this kind of retro hairdryer device and tunes into uh, actor, singer and model Diane Carroll uh, and her character, Mermia. Diane appeared in musicals. She was in films and TV. She starred in Claudine alongside James Earl Jones. Um, and she was nominated for an Oscar for that. So, you know, she was no slouch. There weren't sort of any old um, act from uh, the variety shows. But she she plays this holographic fantasy woman. And in, in the universe, she's supposed to be a bit of a shapeshifter. So it tells us a lot about Itchy that he, this sort of human female appears to him as his, uh, as his fantasy. She's mentioned a couple of times in the expanded universe as uh, this, yeah, this shapeshifting holographic kind of creation for the amusement and pleasure of others quite the lineup and i think obviously like you just said they these were famous stars of their time in america um but we can't really relate to them in this country but jez set you on a little mission about what you could find out about the wookie family background and itch's <laughs> underjaw i mean what what an underbite that is i mean so yeah craig's already mentioned about the the families and the changes to the family names um so i think i'm just going to stick to referring to them as as marla itchy and lumpy as opposed to malatabug achichuk as you said and lumper waru yeah easy for me to say interestingly enough when you try and do a little bit of research on chewbacca's mother um it just comes out as female wookie i don't know if you chaps have found any more than that but it's just um uh, itchy and uh female wookie so that that's it from that point of view yes we all know about them being on uh kashik and in their homeland with regards to canon and other things i made a mistake earlier on when i said about the holiday special isn't on starwars.com 
Yeah, absolutely. It is on StarWars.com. When we did the commentary, I think I, I noted that there were something like 131 references to the holiday special on StarWars.com or 131 different articles or links. That's now actually increased up to 140 odd with the uh, now introduction of the, the new Lego stuff. But it was on um, StarWars.com when I was looking at Chewbacca and uh, it was telling you all the stats and all the information. It gave you nothing on his family, on the whole Chewbacca thing. And it's only then when you go to Wikipedia that you get a lot more info. I, I can get some stuff with regards to, you know, where they've come from, where they split up and at what stage and where this was. The fact that Chewbacca then ended up having to leave Marla and Lumpy uh, to honour the life debt, which comes out from, um, as you'll know, from Solo. However, I haven't read the Aftermath books and there's a lot more information. I think, Stu, I think you have the Aftermath book trilogies. And, and Craig, I know that you definitely would have done because it does appear that the liberation of Kashyyyk becomes a major plot point of the second Aftermath book, which is actually titled Aftermath Life Debt. And Mala and Lumpur Waru, now nicknamed Waru, are properly mentioned. And then there's the final part of the Aftermath Empire's End, where Waru actually appears in that book. And there's in one of the last sort of the interlude chapters. It's interesting that that was a canon novel that that was written and, and released after uh, the Disney takeover. So, um, you know, in terms of, sort of taking key elements and making it legit, that's our best case right there um, in terms of Chewbacca's family. I mean, let's face it. I mean, Marla, blimey, she's a patient lass, isn't she? Chewbacca goes off and he, he is off of hand and stuff. He's always gallivanting around on, on little adventures. And it appears that it was only after the Battle of Endor that they go back to sort of um, check out Kashyyyk and, and make sure everything's all right. So um, poor Marla, she's hardly ever getting looking. It appears from my limited knowledge. I think from, from memory, you know, Han Solo was a was a big uh, driver in in making sure that Kashyyyk was liberated. And uh, I, I guess in a way, it's sort of that you know, him repaying Chewbacca for all those years of uh, services by leveraging his position in the uh, in the New Republic to sort out his planet and by association his family. I also just wanted to look at, before we moved on from cast and crew and stuff, Craig, I'm going to come over to back to you for a minute. The show had a series of writers, Pat Proft, Leonard Rips, Bruce Valanche, Rod Warren and Mitzi Welsh. There are quite a lot of uh, writers involved in this special. So many of them have got so much to be proud of. What other links have these writers got to Star Wars, if any? And what, what would we know them from since the special? Have any gone on to be successful? So, no, no links whatsoever to Star Wars. They were all from the world of TV light entertainment. A couple were even poached from the uh, Donnie Marie show. So, you know, that's where they they went mining for uh, for their talent. Mitzi Welsh was on the music side. So I think she was the lyricist. She wrote the song that uh, our uh, Mamea, uh, our, our sexy uh, hologram lady, sings. Yeah, but they all went on and, uh, you know, had successful careers. Rod Warren continued to sort of have a busy career in light entertainment. Uh, Leonard Rip, I think the probably most famous thing he was associated associated with was Tim Burton's Frankenweenie. Bruce Philanch, I mean, he was he was a bit more than a writer. You know, he was a songwriter, actor, time on screen, six-time Emmy Award winner. So, you know, knew what he was doing. Um, ended up writing a lot of gags for big award shows, like the Oscars. Yeah, he was, uh, he was quite in demand. And Pat Proffitt went on to be screenwriter of lots of those kind of parody films in the 80s and 90s, like Police Academy and Naked Gun, um, Scary Movie. That's where he found his, uh, found his niche. Can I just jump in at this stage as well, though, because there's one particular writer um, who we've missed out, and that's George Lucas, 
because when you go to the imdb.com right so yeah pretty big deal imdb um, and look at george lucas's uh, bio and uh, look at everything that he's been involved with from american graffiti um, throughout it still does have him as the star wars holiday special tv movie 1978 brackets characters and uh, when you actually look at uh, IMDb for the holiday special, it does have uh, George Lucas written down as under directors as writer brackets characters. <laughs> so, you know, he might have tried to deny this as much as possible, but it's there. It's, it, it's <laughs> on IMDb. So therefore it's true. It's um, is it canon. I don't know, but it's happened. George, get over it. <laughs> well, I looked at the, um, the two the two directors who I wasn't familiar with at all. David Acomba and Steve Binder. Now, David Acomba, he was the initial director hired to do this, and he knew Luke as well. He had uh, studied at UCS with him. However, he had creative differences, and so they then turned to the producer, Steve Binder, to replace him. Now, when I looked them up, David Acomba, I mean, you look through his his back catalogue and his work, I mean, it's very based around music. And then you go to Steve Binder, and I mean, he's most famous for the Elvis Presley 1968 comeback special show. I mean, he didn't do a great deal after the Star Wars holiday special, I suppose he peaked and thought my work is done here now. Yeah, both were really more associated with with music and music videos. In fact, Steve Binder's music videos. He was um, seemingly influential in creating music programs which which tackled uh, race and uh, ethnic diversity back in like the sixties and seventies. So a bit of a pioneer for that kind of um, push in the early days of those movements. So yeah, neither really had a particularly strong body of work afterwards. But you sometimes have that, don't you? you you peak and you just can't ever return to it you've only got to look at the first two oasis albums however much you try it's it's not always possible star wars was a huge hit in 1977 and back in the day there were the three networks and if you wanted maximum exposure you went on one of them and george lucas was shooting the empire strikes back and he i think was a little skittish about the brand, the Star Wars brand hadn't really set in yet. So he uh, he wanted to ensure that, that the public remembered Star Wars when the sequel came back. One way to ensure that people remembered it was to do a big television show built around the Star Wars brand. He had seven, or ten, I think he said. He had ten stories he'd fleshed out, and he intended on filming six of them, which he did. It took him 30 years to film the six, but he eventually did film six. And the other three he sold off to other other things. One became a, a novel, one became a comic book series. And this last one that he had, uh, he decided to turn into a television special. But... I think in his mind it was going to be like a Star Wars movie, but there was more money to be made in a big variety show because there was there was something so bizarre about the the idea of doing Star Wars with variety. So he um, he sold this to CBS, and uh, unfortunately, the central characters in this story were the Wookies, and the Wookies look kind of like me and they don't speak any discernible language. They sound like fat people having orgasms. It's like Trust me, I know. And that would be like That's hi honey, I'm home. So we had to have people with them at all times to translate what they were saying. And so we had like Art Carney as an intergalactic traveling salesman 
trying to sell Mrs. Chewbacca appliances. And it was all about, he was establishing the plot. Hi, where's Chewie? Oh, really? He's in the, the Y-winged fighter. Oh, and the troopers are following him. Yes, we hope he gets home safely. Uh, and the, the idea of the, the story was that there is a, a, a holiday called Life Day, which George had invented, and I think he hoped it would catch on like Festivus. <laughs> that moves us on to the cartoon. And, Jez, you were just talking about um, Lucas being noted as writing. Now, it's my understanding that he actually wrote the story for the cartoon, the strong part of the holiday special. But so the cartoon, I think it lasts about 10 minutes and uh, is the high point of the special. And like we said earlier, it's the only thing to actually been released in a physical form officially uh, since 1978. So it must have done something good. Now, the animated segment was known as the Faithful Wookiee. And uh, it was the first ever official Star Wars cartoon and written by Lucas and produced by Toronto animation firm Nelvana Limited. They are more and better known in the Star Wars world for producing droids and Ewoks in 1985. The look of the, the animation was um, was supposed to have been inspired by Mobius, um, and that was that was a Lucas request, and it kind of does it on a budget. So Mobius was a was a French illustrator, animator, kind of visual creator of fantastical worlds, and I think I'm right in saying that he had a hand in some of the costumes uh, for Alien. The um, spacesuits were, were were Mobius creations. So. Um, yeah, a real kind of touch point in sci-fi and fantasy. Lucas was a big comic book reader. So if, if he's kind of looking at, you know, graphic arts, visual arts, uh, a way of bringing his universe to life in animation, no surprise that he would point to, to Mobius and go, I want it like that. He still views very good as a cartoon, doesn't it? I mean, when I listen back to the commentary, that's probably where we're most silent the most, where we all kind of get sucked <laughs> into it. It does have some appeal, nothing more so than seeing Boba Fett for the first time. But browsing the internet, people saying it's the first time you saw Boba Fett, and it isn't actually true. Boba Fett had appeared costumes alongside Darth Vader in some of the old toy shop tours before this had been on the telly. So, I'm not being funny, but children must have thought, who the hell's that? <laughs> Wandering around with Ada, because there was no logic to it at that point. Yeah, they did make that as to have someone else to go into the shops to encourage their kids to buy, you know, new figures and something to look forward to. So, um, yeah, because it was Don Franks, wasn't it, who was the voice of Boba Fett in the cartoon. You know, so people talk about Jeremy Bullock, you know, being the first one, but Don Franks was, uh, in, in some opinions, the first Boba Fett. Yeah, that was pretty good, the way in which they designed that. And they had then just um, given the basic black and white images, I believe it was, to uh, John Celestriate to uh, Nirvana to say, right, this is the um, this is the production. This is what we want you to do for this cartoon. And what did it take them? Six weeks in the spring of 78 to make it. And the whole project for that, uh, just for that one episode, lasted three or four months, according to uh, according to my main source in the force, Mr. Craig Miller. Yeah, I think the reason we all went quiet was because it was really good. And most of what we were saying was ridicule throughout the rest of the pantomime on acid. So, uh, yeah, we were we were actually rolling our sleeves up and, and getting amongst it, weren't we, with the old cartoon? Apparently, the obviously, the original Star Wars film went through a lot of rewrites and rewrites. We've heard of that. But a large portion of the family of Wookiees on Kashyyyk and Chewbacca trying to get back there was apparently in some very early plot points from the original film, heading right back to 1973. That was included in the film. Can you imagine if that was part of the film? Uh, just reading through this here. 
that Lumpy, maybe not called Lumpy, was also possibly meant to be in the original Star Wars film. He certainly revisits the idea of uh, blockade, doesn't he, on a, on a couple of occasions. Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean with the Star Wars bit. You know, I know we were saying that it was meant to be, I think, Jez, you said it was meant to be an hour show to start with. Yeah, that's right. So it said uh, the show was going to be an hour long and the script for that wasn't bad. So I've now just taken this information from, as I said, the Craig Miller book. And it says uh, it wasn't going to be great, but it was okay. And then it said that, you know, the the animated short was in there. But the network were getting more and more excited about this. So they, they got a scoop. You know, this was huge. As we said, it was, you know, the, these shows were massive. But at the time, you're talking the whole space phenomenon you know people were loving it the next james bond movie was going to be moonraker which was just going to be launched a few months later so uh initially it was just you know short but sweet compact an hour including adverts so you could get some quality stuff in there what they've done is they've watered it down they've really really diluted it and so it went from being an hour to then a 90 minute special and lucasfilm agreed to that not long afterwards it then went out to a two-hour special and lucasfilm agreed again so more material was written sort of bolted onto it to get it sort of you know watered down bulked out and it just got weaker and weaker so it could have been a a one-hour show uh, which uh, maybe would have uh, been in people's hearts a little bit more but it was uh, Craig Miller thought that one of the reasons why people were ultimately disappointed is that it wasn't what they thought that they were going to get. They thought it was going to be the continued adventures of Luke and Han, you know, an action-packed space adventure. And it was actually just a holiday-tinged variety of special. And so people didn't necessarily walk away of what they thought they were going to get, which... I guess is what some people are like nowadays when they go to watch a uh, Disney Star Wars movie. Um, but obviously back then they didn't have the internet to uh, to put their complete disdain on. Um, but yeah, an hour watered down. It's a shame perhaps that perhaps it hadn't been watered down so much because this is something I'm going to read directly off uh, one of the sites on the internet. Now, in the negotiations with George Lucas and 20th Century Fox, CBS decided ahead of its 1978 release that the Star Wars Holiday Special would become an annual event. Each year, Lucas would oversee new further adventures in the Star Wars universe between the films he was making. Unfortunately, for CBS, the special bombed so hard that it may have had something to do with the fact that Lucas wasn't around enough to oversee it come to fruition. He was off doing pre-production for Empire Strikes back in 78, and the final version of the special stayed very far from his original writings, apart from the focus on the Wookiee family. So, again, another nod that it was his plot point to the Wookiee family, but if they hadn't stretched it out so much, we could have had one of these every year. I mean, we could we could be doing a series of them for months. <laughs> Just returning to the cartoon, then uh, the first thing of Fett. I mean, if Fett wasn't such a such a loved character now, he you know let, let's be honest about it. He's you ask ten people who their favourite Star Wars character is, four of them will probably tell you Boba Fett. If Fett wasn't the character in there, if it was Bosk, do you think this would would also be remembered in the same light? No, I don't think so. I think it's kind of Fett that just holds it all up. I, I think it's got. I think it's a big contributing factor to its enduring popularity. I think it's what Fett can do, isn't it? You know, if, if Bosk could do what Fett could do, then it would be great. But it was the fact that you were bringing in new capabilities now and to a sinister, mysterious figure, that whole sort of lore of, of hang on a second, is he a good guy? No, is he back? What's going on here? And, and so the mystique of Fett 
uh, and the menace and, and knowing what he could do, that he was actually quite dangerous. I thought it was really, really enticing. Looking at the cartoon specifically, he is portrayed as an ally to the to the rebels. And he, while there is a, a sinister uh, kind of underpinning to his performance, I think that might have sailed over kids' heads. So he's, you know, he's helping them out. I'm sure he says friend more than one occasion. That kind of grey area, that sort of like, is he a goody, is he a baddie? I think it, I think it, you know, when you first meet him, he's more on the goody side. But he's got them all hanging upside down. That's to, that's <laughs> to help them, isn't it, with their lurgy that they've got. That one. Yeah. <laughs> has detected contamination. It must have come from the talisman. Artu says it's some kind of sleeping virus that only affects humans. He says the only way to keep them alive is to let the blood rush at their heads. I know this sleeping virus the Empire uses on its enemies. They have a remedy for it in the city. I could get some for you. I'm afraid Chewbacca insists on going with you. You will only get in the way... But if you must, come on. With all Star Wars stuff comes the music. And four real standout songs in this. Well, I say standout. I mean, when I say that, I mean as as main songs in here. Uh, Jez, I know you always enjoy your music. What do you think? What do you make of the the music that takes us through this special? (laughs) Right. Well, okay. So there's a couple elements to this. What have we got? So there was some original music which was brought in by Ken and Mitzi Welsh. Now, I sort of uh, Googled them. I went to check them out earlier on. And, and in fact, Ken Welsh, nominated for 19 Emmys and winner of five. So, you know, a uh, a quality uh, uh, duo there of, of, of great skills and sort of back catalogue. I actually tried to find one of their own pieces and it came up with an album called A Piano, Icebox and Bed looked very peculiar not something which i'd necessarily recommend um but then ian fraser was also brought in to um adapt the john williams theme so yeah some basic star wars themes then and, and a bit of sort of more slight panto bits coming in as well but as you say there's four yes four great songs and who is going to be our christmas number one well in at number four, and this this is my take on this and, and my order, no particular order with regards to uh, anyone else's opinion but mine. So the first one is the Jefferson Starship, the light, the sky on fire. Now, actually, as songs go, it's not bad. I, I don't know what you guys think about this, but it, it, it's all right. I could, you know, it, it could be Craig. It could be your ringtone uh, on my phone. It's, it's, it's all right. It's just a bit random and it doesn't fit with the the rest of the show right there's you know it is played it's a bit of a trippy there's a bit of a theme here it's it's a sort of trippy thing with a band who aren't really doing much apart from just playing their instruments now actually this title um this was given the working title of a cigar shaped object brackets vanished without trace and then obviously it was like the sky on fire However, I don't know if this cigar-shaped object was the microphone itself because that was all a bit phallic and uh, it, was all, it was all a bit pink. It was definitely, definitely 70s. 
Now this was put on as a uh, to be watched by one of the Imperial Guards on one of the many uh, Wookiee what we call them the appliances which they had you know their uh, the homestead was littered with technology and they were able to watch this um, but I've given it as the number four just because of the fact it's a good song it just doesn't really do anything for me with regards to moving things forward in at number three is uh, the Diana Carroll song you know this minute now it's just a bit weird as I said earlier on and we've spoken about it so this was given to Itchy by the Sean I keep on forgetting uh, Sean Dan isn't it something like that it was given to Itchy by the uh, the guy who uh, runs the, uh, the shop and he said all right let me just get my proton pack off which is very very interesting this is long before Ghostbusters uh, but I'm going to give you this proton pack and we'll just get this boosted up he then says to Itchy this has got a real wow if you know what I mean I know what you're after and then he does something really really random with his hand strange anyway so this song itself is is a trippy porno James Bond 70s intro itchy is nearly biting his over uh, his own underbite I am your pleasure I am your fantasy enjoy me these these are the strange words coming out with lots of giggling and lots of heavy breathing and stuff it's just it's just random I, I like it but it's it's just totally bonkers number two life day performed by Carrie Fisher now this is at the end of the special Carrie sings life day with everyone it's great happy families around the life tree and this is to the star wars main theme now for those people who are familiar with eastenders i think it was anita dobson years after eastenders came out that she actually then sang a song to the eastenders theme and it was called oh i had it in my head earlier on it wasn't anyone any loser wins anyone can fall in love that was it and it was just oh that's weird that's the eastenders song but with some lyrics to it and it's a bit like that number two life day by carrie fisher songs words to the main stars theme it, it it's just it's just a bit weird i mean it's a nice setting you've got a load of wookies roaring at the beginning like a swarm of bees the the collective term of, of wookies when they're all together and they're all doing their little roar it does sound like some irritating bees chewy as i say is wearing a gang r2d2 3po the whole gang are there you've got the promise of the tree of life she's singing it and it's a bit like a cliff richard song and it, it strikes me as cliff richard is very much a sort of christmas singer in fact i heard the other day that he has spanned seven decades of singing at christmas carrie's singing away at one point the camera goes to han he's just looking at his say yeah let's just just wrap this and then we're gonna party it goes to mark hamill he's just like right yeah he's just made up chewie's just looking embarrassed because he's wearing robes it's just peculiar but i like it because it's, it's carrie fisher and it song doesn't actually last that long in it number one though good night but not goodbye performed by b arthur akmina this is rand now we all enjoyed this when we were watching it so uh, b as we said akmina the uh, she's the main sort of proprietor the the bar lady of the moss eisley well we assume it's not really the moss eisley cantina or wherever this cantina is and she sings a song which is the theme tune to the cantina band you know the modal nodes essentially it goes on for a bit it's, it's really drunk aliens getting smashed trying to encourage her to have an a lock-in so the reason i've given this number one is because this is 
got a music video to it you know we look back jefferson starship it's their own video the diana carroll one she's just having a moment with itchy it's just wrong the carrie fisher one is, is lovely and i like it it's heartwarming but this this is a video this is like when brothers and arms dire straits did their first like money for nothing video in the early 80s this was groundbreaking you know and I, and I look at it she starts by singing just one more drink friends and then goodbye friends modal nodes are kicking in she's cuddling up to a variety of aliens someone starts to distract her by saying now come on let's have a dance walrus man starts dancing and then greedo does a funny stew hand thing and then there's a blind drunk guy who just makes me think he's just grant he just wants a cuddle goes on a bit like i am now it's like a massive song from lay miz she's clearly a very calculated and experienced woman because she then creates a conga which goes out in the bar so uh she's happy all the patrons are happy and um it's all part of it, it it's just without that song i don't know it just it holds everything together i think that song for me made it so uh so there we go that's my christmas number one good night but not goodbye by b arthur i love that song in fact i'm gonna put it on my christmas playlist isn't it? <laughs> people are gonna wonder what the hell's going on because they're around my house i'm gonna have it's, that. It's, it's the whole thing cause it's great because it's variety yep that's what people have you know in the uk we would have had these holiday specials 20 million people would have been watching that one program you know or, or our equivalent or what have you it would be the same in the states and in canada all people wanted to see something and that was it it was variety it was fun it was just mad you know there was clearly some drugs in the in the boardroom when they were deciding what was happening there but the whole uh stew greedo hands and, and blind drunk grant and dancing Horus man and stuff it was Oh, I just it was funny, funny, funny. And you're the pervert hiding behind the bar. <laughs> the, as I said, there is like a bit of grabbing going on in a certain <laughs> sense of inappropriateness. It's, it's just just strange, but um, yeah, I quite like it. I don't think any of the songs are bad, actually. I don't think that's uh, something that people can really moan about. Jefferson Starship, it, it's a good song. The Diana Carroll is very much like the beginning of a late 70s Bond movie. And Life Day, well, who, who, who's going to take anything away from Carrie singing that? You know, um, it's all good. I think the, the, the songs, I'm going to put money on a table. The songs are the best part and the cartoon. And guess what we are ready for now? The cooking. Step one, we stir the mixture. Stir, 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 stir. Stir, 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 stir. Very nice. Now, step two. While we're stirring, we also whip. Mm. So it's stir, whip, stir, whip, 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 stir. Stir, whip, stir, whip, 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 stir. Let's try it again together at an increased tempo because precision is very important in this recipe and we do want to have a fine consistency, don't we? Uh. So, and on the count of one. Stir, whip, stir, whip, 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 stir. Stir, whip, stir, whip, 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 stir. Come on, faster all together now. Cooking can be fun. Stir, whip, stir, whip, 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 stir. Stir, whip, stir, whip, 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 stir. Wah! Having fun, having fun. All right? Coming along nicely now. Step three. We also have to beat. So it's beat, 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 stir, whip, stir, whip, beat, beat, stir. That's not right. I'm sorry. Stir, whip, stir, whip. Whip, whip, stir, beat, stir, whip, stir, whip, 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 stir, beat. Now, talking about bad things, 
Craig, we're going to come over to what kind of reception this got, especially back at the time, the critics' reviews, and also the cast and crew's reactions to it. So what have you been able to find? Yeah, I mean, we say it was university and at the time, but I wanted to find something that, that did provide a bit of balance. And I've, I've got the um, I've got the review here from The Hollywood Reporter. It came out after the show, written by a, a lady called Gail Williams. It's quite long. I think I'll read it all out to you in my best school assembly voice. If the prospect of a two-hour Star Wars holiday special conjured up visions of May the Force Be With You repeated ad nauseum in your head, this show on CBS was a welcome surprise. For the most part, the special was an inventive diversion that stood on its own merits. The film stars Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Peter Mayhew, and of course C-3PO and R2-D2 were on hand. However... The special effects were the real stars of the show. Writers Rod Warren, Bruce Villanche, Pat Proft, Leonard Rips and Mitzi Welsh devised a story involving Chewbacca's family waiting for him to come home for Life Day, a kind of space-aged merging of Thanksgiving and Christmas. Since he's late, they feared he's been imperiled by Imperial forces, an accurate assumption confirmed when Empire police searched their home for evidence of rebel activity. All this gives Chewbacca's wife a good excuse to contact the various Star Wars characters and makes for a touching reunion when the big Wookiee returns home safely. The plot smacks of sentiments typical of the Waltons. But the time waiting for Chewbacca is filled with cleverly integrated musical numbers and amusing special effects. Diane Carroll's sensuous number This Minute with original music and lyrics by Mitzi and Ken Welch was by far the highlight of the show incorporating some spectacular visuals. A fanciful dance number featuring miniaturised hologram creatures choreographed by David Winters was also very effective. The Jefferson Starship appeared in a rock number greatly enhanced by computer-generated lighting effects. Jeff Chang and Fred McKinnon handled the impressive lighting for the show. Harvey Corman added humour as a handy cooking instructor and Art Carney provided warmth as a Santa-like shopkeeper. B. Arthur sang her way through an overly long number in a bar full of bizarre creatures. Everyone involved in the technical accomplishments of the Star Wars Holiday Special deserves acknowledgement, with Brian Bartholomew's art direction, Garrett Lewis's sets, Bob Mackie's costumes, and Ed Green's audio effects all adding considerably to the production. Video animation was by Jean Dejou and Elizabeth Saville. Steve Binder directed, and Joe Layton and Mitzi and Ken Welch produced this Smith Hemian production in association with 20th Century Fox. So The Hollywood Reporter, obviously serious, credible publication read by lots of industry people, which is why a lot of the people that we've not talked about, like the vision mixers and the, and the special effects guys are getting mentions there. But yeah, what do we think to that review? I don't kind of agree with some of it. I mean, we haven't really touched on the special effects in it. Like the hologram people and whatnot, you know, for its time. I know we'd seen it on Star Wars, but this is a TV show, completely different. That's format. it. Yeah, yeah. I, I see it. And I think Doctor Who, I think, you know, cheap tv but that's exactly what it was whereas now we're we we look at it in a different lens because we look at things like mandalorian which is just for tv but it's a epic because uh, they know that they're going to get some serious money out of it you'd think with the the audiences which they'd get particularly if it was on commercial tv that they get a decent amount of return and therefore could 
invest in some greater special effects i wasn't blown away at the time because and this is why i think the audience weren't because the audience were expecting a continuation of the story which they had seen in the cinemas and therefore felt let down but if you just saw it without having seen star wars you might have taken to it differently so not everybody liked it obviously tv reviewer jerry book in november 78 called it bubblegum for the brain he wasn't a fan nathan rabin of the av club wrote i'm not convinced the special wasn't ultimately written and directed by a sentient bag of cocaine it was ranked at number one in the hundred dumbest events in television history called it the worst two hours of television ever which is harsh i think the reaction from the cast is is quite well known george was arm's length with the project he wasn't happy with it he reportedly said that he you know he believed that it would not be released on videotape but you know i think that was a little bit left left to cbs but then later on he he, he said and we had um, steve sansweet on the uh, on the show and it came from uh, his interview that if he could track down every copy with a sledgehammer, he'd, he'd smash it. So you see that quote a lot. So, yeah, George is very, very sort of dismissive. He said the special from 1978 really didn't have much to do with us. He couldn't really remember what network it was on. It was just a thing that they did. We kind of let them do it. It was done by, I can't even remember the name of the group it was. But they were variety TV guys. We let them use characters and stuff. And that probably wasn't the smartest thing to do. But you learn from those experiences. So the words of George himself, he wasn't a fan. And I'd go as far as to say is he was probably quite embarrassed by it in 2006 harrison ford was on uh, conan and claimed never to have seen it anthony daniels has been quite vocal over the years on stage when he was promoting the worldwide tour of star wars in concert he kind of describes it as the horrible holiday special that nobody talks about uh, and he goes further than that in 2019 uh, where he just refers to it as a turd uh, in his autobiography around 2010 carrie fisher was uh, was talking to new york times columnist david carr and she said that uh, she made Lucas give her a copy of the special in exchange for recording the commentary on the Star Wars trilogy so that she would have something for parties when she wanted everyone to leave. More recently, Mark Hamill, he's he's kind of sort of said he'd never seen it all in 2020, jokingly asked uh, the US President uh, Donald Trump to pardon it. And on the run up to the last elections, watching the presidential debates, he uh, he said on Twitter that it was the worst thing he'd ever seen and compared it to the uh, to the holiday uh, special. We now kind of have warmed a little bit more to the Phantom Menace. Do you think that they just need just another 40 years or so and then, you know, things will start to ease up slightly? Because, you know, if you asked any of us 10 years ago, oh, Phantom Menace, we would all shuddered and stuff. But, you know, again, Jar Jar, we all met with Jar Jar. We went to the last celebration because we were like, you know what? He's all right, you know, and and, and you're warm to it. And maybe just giving it a little bit more time, Mark will be really proud of it. And, and Harrison will just, you know, want it in his collection. And, and maybe George will be sort of inclined to do the follow-up to it you know do, do you think we just need to give it a little bit more time <laughs> i think i think if these guys are of the age now where they should be uh you know making peace with their with their past demeanors and if they haven't sort of come to terms with it by now they, they never will i mean i think as as fans you know we we look at it I mean, there's, there's a lot more Star Wars out there now. The stuff that arounds it dilutes its potency, sort of take my meaning. So when there was just three films and, and that as a as a piece of content, it stuck out like a sore thumb as a stinker. Whereas now, you know, there's so much. It's just part of the journey we've been on with the with the franchise. And again, I think we said, we said on, the, on the commentary, any long-running property like this is going to have these quirky little elements to it. 
as people you know develop projects that maybe don't quite work and you know i think the most obvious example for me is sort of some of the, the doctor who skits and sketches that have appeared on children in need over the years which doctor who fans you know class those as canon even though they kind of you know random people pop up and, and all that kind of stuff so i think it's just part of being involved in a long-running uh successful uh, franchise and you know you just need to to roll with it and you know not take it all too seriously there's sort of one kind of rogue Star Wars element, which is the Star Wars Holiday Special. I wonder uh, what would... Can we cut tape? Cut tape now. This is not allowed. You promise. No, you've, uh, nobody is allowed to mention this. Oh, really? Have so you if, seen if it? If I said it to... I've not seen it. If I said that to George Lucas, what would his face be like? If uh, I, uh, uh, I think he'd leave the room. Oh, really? It was... I was in it. I was in it. I was there with the glowing globes and the Wookiees carrying them. Scary moment. They were treading on the little pea lights in the uh, black velvet flooring. It was quite weird. Carrie singing a cappella, very strange. I, I think it was, what was it? Uh, Ewok free, uh, no, they weren't inventive. It was uh, Wookiee Pride Day. <laughs> uh, you should see it. I have the script at home. It's about that thick and a, a black and silver thing and I opened it the other day and I closed it because it was so unbearable it was pretty bad actually mm. it's in the kind of black museum of, of crap so I don't I don't think it will ever escape so buy one buy a, a, a pirated copy of because you ain't going to get it from Lucasfilm yeah it's on YouTube I think somewhere yeah yeah but you will die if you watch it there's a special <laughs> thing in the digital what I've noticed is more and more people are embracing it. We've just had the anniversary of the, the holiday specials. Um, Lego have released their homage to it. I haven't watched it yet, but you know, I know it's in the same spirit. But you know, I've seen a lot of posts of, of Chewbacca in his red robes and, and you know, scenes from that that kind of section of the of the special with you know people wishing each other happy life day and i think that yeah. you know star wars fans they like that any excuse to post a bit of star wars content so now every year we've got may the 4th where, where we celebrate our fandom and we put stuff out there we've also got this as well now every november uh, plus plus countless anniversaries of movies being released and all the rest of it so i think it's part of that now i think it's part of that culture you know um mandalorian episodes where they come out it'd be like you know the child the egg the you know the each one has got a name i don't know if you saw earlier on this week i saw someone put out a um, meme on facebook saying oh you know next mandalorian episode will be the sun and it had a picture of lumpy <laughs> <laughs> just looking really sort of you know lumpyish. and i was like oh yeah that would be amazing if you imagine chewbacca's family in mandalorian you look at it from a collecting point of view, you know, we're all vintage collectors and you look at the last celebration, there was a whole panel dedicated to Star Wars Holiday Special Vintage Collecting. And uh, so, it, so it is there, it is becoming warmer, people are becoming more annoyed with the most recent Disney products now and, and possibly warming to towards the Holiday Special a little bit more. I certainly finished the commentary feeling a lot warmer about it than I did before. So, boys, so we've got the holiday special, 1978. We've watched it. We know what was involved in it. We've spoken about it again tonight. But what about if The Force Awakens, when that came out in 2014, and in 2015, they were doing a holiday special to bridge the gap with the same structure as the 1978 one? And um, so I've given you, I think, what uh, eight areas, I think. So we go through one by one to see what we came up with as what would be uh, a fine example today as what it would have been back then. OK, so first of all, You've got the main, the main, let's, so the main 
story of this is Chewbacca needs to get back to his family for life day. So what would you base your story around after The Force Awakens? Um, Let's start with Jez. Yeah, it's tricky this because The Force Awakens goes straight into The Last Jedi. So does that mean there's no Rey, right? So she you know she's on the island she's she's with moff luke uh, and then last jedi rolls straight into it so maybe maybe there's no ray in this i mean i'd be happy with rose i i was disappointed that rose got done out really on the last jedi and, and you know rise of skywalker so rose could be could be a good one but then again how would you manage the carry problem you know so so two then key players so you, you've got Carrie Fisher and Ray unable to be in this, possibly, unless he then started doing CGI stuff. So so I, I, I don't know. They're difficult things. And, and then what else? I, I like the idea, actually, for this, of rebuilding of hope and this and the other. Maz's Castle, I was thinking, so yeah, may, maybe this could be featured around Maz's Castle, Ray getting in there with the new characters as well. I was also thinking themes which have been coming out. So in Star Wars films, you look at Phantom Menace and it was all about metachlorians. And then you see other ones, it's all about hyperfuel. And then it's about light speed skipping. So what, what themes can there be? And a theme which you've seen in some Star Wars movie is slavery. You know, we've seen it before. You've seen it in the solo movies. You've seen it in the... Um, phantom menace you see slaves you saw it in return of a jedi so it could be almost like a freedom day a life day would still work for me but you know there, there are things coming in there it's it's a tricky one though mate to go straight after the force awakens and not have it affect the canon going into the last jedi do you think the original holiday special worried about the continuity between a new hope and empire strikes back because i mean i don't think the original holiday special worried about much at all but the fact is it, it just wouldn't work whereas you know the the sequel to a new hope you know it, it was fine because it was so much later you know you you've got luke the farm boy is now commander skywalker i mean you know so he must have gone from lieutenant to squadron leader to come you know he's been in for a while uh, and so you know time has passed i'm not quite sure what it is on the time canon whether or not it's like you know four or five years or so but these two go straight into each other so that's what i'm struggling with on the, on this first part is do we do we just chin off ray and, and actually feature some of the other characters who maybe well, don't get looking down to you so it, interesting so you're you've gone for a more of a movie style plot with your with your thinking yeah mother's castle let's rebuild yeah. that so it starts off doom and gloom you could probably have some whistle wire work get you know the old seven dwarfs in there making everything good uh, and then come the end mother's castle changing rooms have been in there you know we've had a phone in uh, and all sorts of stuff's happened. <laughs> DIY SOS. <laughs> yeah, you know, because you got to think you know, reality TV and all that. A lot of things are different now. And, uh, you know, you've got to get something for the influencers. And uh, and at the end, Mazda's Castle's all sorted again and everyone can celebrate. And it could be Life Day, uh, but obviously that's a bit more of a Wookiee thing. So maybe it could be a Freedom Day. Who, who knows what? Or a Hope Day. Hope okay. Day. Okay, okay. So there's Jez's plot, Craig. I, I've got my plot written down as well. Very different to Jez's. So what have you got as your plot for your uh, new holiday special? Well, you say plot. I've written two words down. But it's, it, it's obvious to me what this needs to be. Okay. Uh, and that's Han's funeral. So while it might sound downbeat, 
I think it could be a very kind of bittersweet framing of and celebration of of Han's life. I mean, Han was, this, let's face it, he was the only one putting any serious uh, work into his role in the uh, in the holiday special. So for having to have the second holiday special based around Han and his life, that makes perfect sense to me. And it, and it gives you a, a, a point in time where all the characters can come back together. Lando can be back, you know, way before he reappears in, uh, uh, in, in Rise of Skywalker. We can have Chewie's family back in there. Ray can kind of go and see Master Skywalker. And hang on a minute. I've just had a call. I need to go. Bomb back. Bomb back to the uh, the funeral and, and get back to the to Akito in time for the next film. So I think it works in terms of continuity. I think it makes perfect sense in terms of what we didn't get to see and how we didn't get to to say goodbye to Han properly. Yeah, Han, Han's funeral makes uh, makes sense to me. Okay, so that's quite interesting. So two very different. Now I've gone very very holiday special here. So I'm on the resistance base. Okay, I haven't worried that that Ray was on uh, off with Luke and. Um, Carrie Fisher died in real life and Han he'll probably be alive in my holiday special because they brought Warus Man all alone back to life so and Greedo was dancing around so mine is like it's a couple of days before Christmas Day they realise as they're cooking that they don't have any salt so Poe and BB-8 have to go on a mission to crate to bring back salt before Christmas Day and everyone's very very nervous back on the resistance base and they're watching their technology which is going to bring in all the songs and all the little performances so you've still got that relation are they going to get back or not? And obviously, at the end, it won't be the Life Day song. It will be something to do with salt. I'll come back to that in a minute. So three very... <laughs> you get salt and pepper coming out, doing the whole yes. salt and peppers here. Yes. So out. you're getting on, on it now. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> right. So obviously then the first thing we see is um, we saw Lumpy watching the, the little circus thing. So, itchy. Itchy. Yeah, itchy. Oh. No, it was, it's Lumpy, isn't it? It's the, is it itchy? That watches the no, circus? The, oh, Lumpy, the circus. Yeah, sorry. I thought you'd go straight into the Diane Carroll thing. No, I'm going to yeah. put it in correct order now. Um, don't worry about the notes, mate. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, never mind. I'll so the hologram performance, as I'm just talking, I'll just... I'll, so, so you had Lumpy, so I've gone with um, Wex. Is his name Wex? Wex? Which was his name? Wes? Wexley. Wexley, the ah, X-Wing Wexley. pilot. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I've got him sitting down in front of a hollow thing and he's watching Diversity do a little robotic dance. So <laughs> still very much on the same thing. But he looks depressed because he's worried about the salt all the time throughout <laughs> the performance. Uh, Craig, what have you got uh, in place of the uh, that moment? In place of the... Um... The hologram performance and oh, who's... Yeah. So the... Yeah, I struggled with this one. You know, what is a contemporary equivalent of that kind of visual sort of rooted in circus it's kinetic it's you know you're sucked in by the feats of, of timing and, and and performance and showmanship and and the closest i could come up with or the, the sort of you know the troop that i thought would fit the bill is uh, the blue man group a little bit of vegas showbiz shrunk down and put on a hologram table how is that is that going to be on hans coffin or something yeah it's, it's on hans hologram coffin it's a special goodbye just to take the edge off the sadness <laughs> nice and uh jez we're in Maz's castle with its uh 60 second makeover mm. well how, how are you bringing the holograms <laughs> It's a no-brainer, right? Because it's, it's the hologram chessboard from the Falcon. You mentioned it earlier on. That would work perfectly because you could have someone playing, you know, turning on the hologram uh, grammatic chessboard. And then the pieces, it's not just me as I think in the Lady Proxima from yeah. Solo was on the chessboard, wasn't she? So the very original chessboard with all the different pieces, Lady Proxima is one of those chess pieces. You guys have seen that, haven't you? 
go go when you go and watch New Hope next time, or even when it was on. What which one was it? it was on one of the sequels, wasn't it? I think it might have been on um, uh, the Force Awakens. But one of the character pieces looks dead like Lady Proxima. Anyway, so hologrammatic performance. The chess pieces start doing their own Christmas cabaret thing. And it's going to be like Christmas holiday on ice dancing, strictly come dance and Lady Proxima special. I mean, you, you look at Lady Proxima, if you were to have a little look at an image, you know, she's got all of her little hands. You know, she's got like, you know, 15 little hands. You can imagine she's got loads of little feet. And you imagine those all tap dancing and doing, <laughs> you know, Lady Proxima there in some sort of number, you know, little, maybe little Charleston, little Charleston dance or, you know, some sort of foxtrot or something or other. I think that'd be brilliant. It'd be so trippy on acid in line with the original uh, in a contemporary way. Brilliant. That's very interesting, Jess. I'm going to stay with you, Jess, and we're going to go with the Jefferson Starship role in that. So 2015, what, what are you coming up with? Yeah, uh, The Darkness. So uh, the uh, the group, The Darkness, who did, you know, I believe in a thing called Love, and I think they did, uh, what was it, the Christmas one? Don't oh, something to end. do with Bell End, wasn't it? Yeah, Don't Let the Bells End. And uh, I think they'd be brilliant. I think they'd be up for it. They'd be having a little bit of spandex on, a little bit out of there. I think it's just because they've got that sort of 80s hair and there's sort of a bit of a Mickey take amongst themselves straight away. As soon as you put that question to me, I was like, yeah, darkness. Next question. OK, good stuff. Uh, Craig? I've been looking at this from the point of view of when this is made. So we're looking at 2015. So it, it's following on from um, the, the Force Awakens. And, you know, Jefferson Starship, they'd had a good career. Their best success was probably 10 years behind them, but they were to go on and, and do other things. So, you know, they were kind of a band that had been around for a while. Like I say, the, the big hits probably weren't coming as thick and fast. So the, I've come up with a couple that were kind of having chart success in 2015. Probably fit that bill if you, if you kind of judge it by those uh, criteria and they are Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds or Take That. So they both fit where Jefferson's Starship were at that stage in their career in uh, 1978. Interesting. Now I, I kept changing my answer for this one and eventually, now there's a, a, a lovely Star Wars collector called Bruce White who is also does some amazing artwork. He's known as Velvet Geek and he's done some beautiful, beautiful pictures on Velvet. But he did a commission for someone of Holiday Special, the four members of the Wookiee family but he did it on the cover as Weezer so do you remember the blue cover with Weezer the four of them standing there well he changed those for the four members of the Wookiees <laughs> and then I, th- I believe the person didn't didn't pay for the picture and I think it ended up in Sky Payne's collection so I'm going to get Weezer dressed as the original four Wookiees just to be like singing around just for a bit of a flashback for while they're enjoying Steph- Jefferson Starship waiting for their salt so there we go on to the shopkeeper Art Carney had this in the original holiday special so for me you said earlier craig that he was a big variety show performer so i'm going with peter k i think he's a very clean cut mm. and would be an ideal shopkeeper in this kind of scenario very much of the time so uh, what have you boys come up with that craig so the shopkeeper i mean it you know art carney was a comic actor he was he was known for his comic roles the shopkeeper role not especially slapstick or had many laughs so that was left more to um to Harvey Corman. So, you know, I was looking for somebody who was there in 2015. And again, I'm probably looking at this a bit too, uh, in a bit too much depth, but somebody who, uh, they had the profile in 2015. They had a background in, in kind of sketch comedy, but they had the, you know, capability for, you know, serious roles and bringing a bit of gravitas to that character. So I've gone with Bob Odenkirk because in 2015, he 
was transitioning from Breaking Bad and his standout role as uh, Saul Goodman into his own spin-off, Better Call Saul. So to have had him, have him in that role there in the uh, in the Force Awakens holiday special, I think it would have uh, been a really nice fit. It's nice. Jez, what have you gone with? Well, I went for Mr. Idris Elba because I thought, you know, he's <laughs> older, wiser, good actor. He can bring in a little bit of comedy, which we've seen more of some from tv adverts and stuff like that but he's really gritty but he's he'll bring them in you know this is a variety performance where they were wanting to bring in these big diana carroll singers people and uh and you know he's tipped to be the next bond really really popular i don't think there's anyone who doesn't like him as a as a uh, entertainer or as an actor so for me i think that would be a real banker idris elba Okay, so that leads us on to the Diane Carroll songs. Jess, I want to know two things here. Who is putting on the porn VR and who have you got yes. singing on it? I don't think there's an appropriate equivalent. Uh, I, You know, I really, I really don't. I mean, you know, I was thinking about these sort of songs and stuff and, and the, the most sort of rude song I was thinking was Justify My Love by Madonna, which was a lot earlier than that. You know, you could bounce something by the Pussycat Trolls. I was just thinking, you know, it's, it's, it's probably not best to have that in there i don't think it works what i want to see is uh nub nub i want to see the original celebration ending from return of the jedi i want to see uh ewoks bashing the heads of stormtrooper helmets and 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 you know having that original song which we love which i think you could bring back for christmas and it'll just be a hoot Cray. So I think again, looking back to 2015, uh, and who was kind of around, who was kind of in the in the big time. And I think yeah, one of the things about Diane Carroll, she's uh, she was an actress and a singer, but she was also a model. And this this character, this role needs to uh, exude kind of sex appeal. You know, it's a it's a it's a fantasy woman. And I've so I've I've landed on a couple of potential candidates for um, this model singer actress who, who kind of do these uh, do these multidisciplinary performances. And I've come up with Zoe Deschanel uh, and. Carla Delevingne. So the VR headset is going to be worn by Claude from uh, Rise of Skywalker because the poor dude's got no limbs. So any fantasies for him are going to have to go on in uh, in his mind. All right. Well, if, if we're doing that, if we're introducing people who are in a different episode of later film, you've got to have Babu Freak in because <laughs> he could be doing it. Because if you imagine Babu Freak puts on the VR headset and sees something saucy, he'll just go, hey! <laughs> and uh, uh that'd be amazing so uh babu freak had to be in it from my point of view but he didn't sort of tick any of those boxes but yeah babu freak man get him in from start to finish so i've got someone down jez that you did mention right i, I had one of two on this you could have either depending on how far your million dollars is stretching at this point but i've got c3po with the helmet on going oh my kind of uh in his <laughs> in his voice and uh, i've gone with either madonna or miley cyrus because because neither of them mind showing their cupcake so um they're both of that that right uh, kind of makeup. Yeah. I did think Madonna because she's a bit older and Miley Cyrus. She could be. I came in on Darth Maul instead of Wrecking Ball. Uh, you know, we we could work with the lyrics. All right, there's definitely a Wrecking I Ball. I came in Darth riding Maul. Darth Maul. Yeah, you yeah, just yeah. said I refuse to do this bit, so I'm putting Ewoks on there. <laughs> now you're saying Miley Cyrus is coming yeah, in riding I've the, got visions of the that Sith Lord. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so definitely my, my yeah, the great call. <laughs> A female human would be C-3PO's ultimate fantasy. Yeah, he's, he's just a dirty birth. I mean, it was a female woman for a for older job, wasn't it, on um, the original? So what would you base the cartoon on? Craig, let's come to you first this time. Well, it would have to be the introduction of, you know, a character that we're going to see later on in uh, in uh, in The Last Jedi. You know, that only leaves two, really, two obvious choices, which is... Uh, 
Rose or the 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 DJ. Yeah, which one are you going with? I think probably you know D- DJ had more potential in terms of the kind of scrapes he could get into, and uh, he sort of suits the um, the in and out um, nature of the kind of story that that Boba Fett had, whereas Rose is kind of more intrinsically linked to the uh, resistance and her sister and those kind of things so so a cartoon based around the d- 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 dj nice jess yeah just thinking about that i like the idea of that see i, I was initially thinking phasma because that sort of made sense with the whole vet thing but then we all know what happens to phasma and she was generally a disappointing character so i actually thought mandalorian you know why not that could work because this is pre what we're getting now so it could be a taster a snippet it's always going to be cool so uh, i'd give a mandalorian but uh, but i also like the whole idea of rose or, or of a dj so uh, yeah that would work i came up with holdo and the whole cartoon would be about her getting a blue rinse in her hair <laughs> and having that having to maybe backstab someone to get it possibly poe like fooling him so she can get her rinse and that's why there's already a bit of bad blood before the last jedi interesting boys right that leaves us that so we're going to the cantina now which i had down as maz's place as well jez you've had your whole setting in there let's go with the uh br for role first because a bit of an elder statesman and um someone a bit charismatic what, what have you got for that jez i had adele uh because i just thought yeah that's the right time period i, I saw the Arthur role is the sort of nancy from oliver you know that sort of or you know yeah, um yeah. bit of a lame thing going on i just thought adele would fit that perfectly again it brings in people it's all about christmas getting the big stars in there and i thought adele in mazza's castle would be uh brilliant i could see her there singing away maybe a little bit of a cockney accent i think that's a good shout craig yeah i mean i'd, I'd still keep this scene in the cantina we've all, we've had a callback two callbacks already in uh, in the mandalorian to just revisit that, that cantina we we're celebrating Han's life. Maybe there's a there's a Skype call back to one of his old hangouts. But ideally, I'd love to bring Biartha back. She's she's there. She's still in the role. She's still she's still working in the cantina. But sadly, she 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 passed away in 2009. So the only surviving Golden Girl is um, Betty White. So the the lady who played Blanche. So you know, as the only Golden Girl still alive, to have her pop up behind that bar, I think there's a it works on you know a couple of levels. Be a little bit creaky now. He might have to to tune her voice but i think it would be a, a lovely lovely kind of nod to uh back to the original yeah so so i went with uh i mean i know you we, we've we've spoken about be after today and you were saying that golden girls came after the holiday special which i didn't realize but i went with someone that i would say is a bit of a, a british icon when it comes to female actors i'm not sure she's sound but she, was, she did a bit of modeling in a younger day and uh, we all know she can run a pub and i went with barbara windsor so i thought she would have that character kind of going around the characters giving a little bit of a flirt and at the end of them when she's congering out going get out of my pub i think uh, barbara windsor would have worked perfectly in that role as yeah. well definitely so that leaves us over to the pervert the pervert in the bar i'm sure we've all come up with someone for this who's flirting around you've got adele we've got betty white and we've got barbara windsor who which who's the perv who's having a drink in their head and causing all sorts of issues again looking at people who were doing well at that time 2015 you know he's a he's a comedy he's a comedy guy he's a comedy actor quite an over actor lots of mugging to the camera it's quite old school sort of slightly slightly naff and i'm not a big fan of this guy but i've got bradley walsh <laughs> i quite like him i think he's quite amusing yeah i can see him in that role yeah good shout jez well so harvey corman the uh, the actor who did that obviously played the robot he played the four-armed yeah. 
uh, chef as well as that. So I was thinking right all around. That guy made me think a little bit of uh, Robin Williams as well, um, who's obviously sadly not with us. But I was thinking, again, I'm thinking more to bring people in. Uh, James Corbin. Um, so uh, I thought he would be he'd be great from a sort of American and Brit point of view. Everyone likes him. He's, um, you know, looks like he's at home in a pub. Now, my take on this, I didn't think about the other characters. So that is a good point. And um, again, mine would be known in America and, you know, quite the world over. But I really went with that pervy kind of, I'm not a perv, but I clearly am a perv and kind of uncomfortable. And uh, I've put in Prince Andrew um, (laughs) for that role. Um, I can just see him hanging around and keep jumping out on Barbara <laughs> Windsor. I think it's got a, sadly, Sid James would have been perfect for the role if he was alive. But uh, I think Prince Andrew is my is my choice. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> yeah, so that's what we come up with then. I'm just going to give you a quick recap because um, I reckon if you watch an enhanced version now, Craig has really? probably knocked up film posters for these. <laughs> so so Jez has got it set in a 60-minute makeover in Maz's castle. So Lady yep. Proxima, you've got the darkness rocking out. You've got Idris Elba in their role of the shopkeeper. Babu Frick's getting off on a bit of Ewoks on his VR okay. with a, a Phasma cartoon. Dale is your uh, is your barmaid with James Corden giving her the eye. And Craig, you went with... Um, Hans Funeral, which... Uh, from, from life day to death day. Yeah, brilliant. With the blue uh, blue game troop on the top. And um, you've got Take That singing in place of Jefferson Starship. Bob Odenkirk in the role of the shopkeeper. Yeah, Zoe uh, Deschanel. With DJ as your cartoon. You're going back to the cantina with Betty White. Very traditional there. With Bradley Walsh fitting in that role. I've gone with the tension of getting salt back for Christmas Day. Got a bit of diversity. We've got Wheeler dressed up as the Wookiee family. Peter Kay in the Art Carney shopkeeper role. Uh, Madonna or Miley Cyrus. I think we went with Miley Cyrus riding in on Darth Maul with C-3PO going, mmm. Got a bit of Holdo in the cartoon. And we've got Barbara Windsor with Prince Andrew being the perv. So they That's are the great. modern really day good. shows. I mean... My cartoon was the Mandalorian cartoon, not the Phasma one, don't forget. But no, that they all sound <laughs> great. Yeah. Good. I think we, Which I would think you we... commission, listeners? <laughs> yeah, that's a... Answered on a postcard. <laughs> and they've all got a bit of everything there. And um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed doing that bit. And um, boys, the holiday special. Love it or hate it. There's something good about it. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I don't think it's... um. I don't think the Star Wars universe would be as good without it. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I think it's enhanced. It's taken it to a new level. I'm going to watch it every year, mate. I've got a funny feeling it may get watched again before this year. What I'd like to do is have a Zoom party November the 17th, 2021. And uh, and we could just all watch it together. And then we could just have a crack, open a couple of tinnies and uh, just have a little bit of a Zoom party. I think that'd be a lovely way. And it, do you know what? It will kickstart the season. It will be something which I'll look forward to and then go, bam, now we're on the countdown to Christmas. Yeah. Well, there you go, listeners. Next year, a Zoom party. Everyone's invited. <laughs> um, if you can't make, if you haven't got Zoom or you can't get it to work, feel free to just turn up at Jez's house. Join in. We will issue <laughs> issue address and yeah, in directions. The <laughs> in the hot tub. You know something wrong about you. Well, it's been fun. I enjoyed that. Please, please, please check out the commentary at the end of the week because uh, we had a lot of fun recording that. But I do once again recommend going over and watching it on our YouTube channel. So open up your YouTube, search Generation Skywalker, hit that subscribe button and uh, join us and enjoy the show. Just join in the chat. I know we won't be there, but just pretend you are. Just throw in a few words. That's what I would do if I was in in my office on my own. I love Um, it that much. I probably still will be there. So that's how much I love it. 
also you can check out all our shows we've already already released a few shows for this festive season we've got more to come get involved in there share your thoughts on any of our shows on our social media so check us out on facebook instagram or twitter just by searching generation skywalker and of course head over to www.generationskywalker.com where you will find a, a whole host of blog posts uh, a new one from craig recently about the beer tasting that we did um, about about seven ten days ago now which is, which is a great great read goes through all of the uh, all of the drinks that we saw on screen when it comes to star wars which um has taken some research i mean uh, i asked jez earlier and he just came up with blue milk it just goes <laughs> to show that there's a lot more to it than that but well, uh, harvey yeah. Corman uh, features heavily so there you go so go and get involved there also pinpoints you to all sorts of breweries beers that have uh, been released with regards to star wars boys really enjoyed this one yep nice just a little intimate show just three of us but um really did enjoy it but it is good night from craig good night it is good night from jez good night you're all like family to me and it is good night from me and we're going to play out with life day tonight we are generation oh. skywalker mm. this holiday is yours but we all share with you the hope that this day brings us closer to freedom and to harmony and to peace no matter how different we appear we're all the same in our struggle against the powers of evil and darkness I hope that this day will always be a day of joy in which we can reconfirm our dedication and our courage and more than anything else, our love for one another. This is the promise of the tree of life.